0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the first five years. This is Agassi from Clemson University, live and in the bedroom.
1: <laughs> Hi everyone, that was so funny to be Agassi. This is Erica coming from the University of Florida, coming live from my dining slash kitchen room. <laughs> kitchen room, it's been a day. The kitchen
0: room, the kitchen room. We love a good kitchen room.
1: Don't we? <laughs> Agassi, how are you?
0: You know, I'm holding in there. I got my coffee. Uh, things are looking good we had kind of a a little storm come through the area last night but you know it's real sunny out there so just trying to enjoy the weather
1: not really sunny over here but I also just have some cloud coverage but doing good down here in the great state of Florida welcome friends listening to the pod our micro moments series continues our little brief pockets of joy that we can bring you while we're all mostly working from home
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just again, for the folks who are joining us for the first time, uh, we are currently doing a special series called Micro Moments, where we just want to talk with folks in the Saxa region um, and abroad about their joyful moments in student affairs. Uh, We know that a lot is happening in the world, so we just want to bring some light and some positivity into the world and share some of the great things that our colleagues are doing.
1: And speaking of colleagues, we are in great company today, so we're really fortunate Agassi does a dance to be joined by the current president of Saxa, Dr. Jason Cassidy. So in addition to his fantastic work with Saxa, Jason currently serves as the Associate Vice President for Student Life and Dean of Students at Furman University. In over 20 years at Furman, Jason has served in a variety of capacities and kind of came up through the ranks in housing. Jason holds degrees from Bethany College, Canisius College, Canisius College, Canisius College, Canisius, I want to say it right. And Clemson University. I practiced before and I still got it wrong. Welcome, Jason. Come on the pod.
2: That's all right. It's, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's actually been called many different things. So, Canisius, uh, <laughs> Can- you got it. You got it right in the end. You got it right. You got it right.
1: We Stop are that's not authentic. <laughs> she you did know. write this beforehand, y'all. She did. Should have written it down.
2: Yep, that's well, all welcome. Right. Thank We're you. thrilled
1: to have you.
2: I appreciate being here. You guys are doing Absolutely. great work. I've enjoyed your podcast.
1: Thank you so
0: much. We, just, we are deeply We do want to know that this is our first public fan. Uh, if there are other public fans out there that want to showcase themselves and or follow us on the social medias, please reveal yourselves. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Show yourself a la uh, Frozen 2, please. It, it's been a week. It's been a few weeks of us in, you know, working from home. You still doing okay, Jason?
2: Yeah, for the most part, I've walked my neighborhood more than I've ever walked it and uh, my dogs are enjoying the daily attention and so it's been good family time. So we're adjusting, uh, trying to make it work. But I can honestly say I'm, I'm tired of Zoom, uh, but equally blessed to have that ability to do work remotely. So kind of a, a double edged sword, I suppose. But yeah, doing well. Uh, very blessed.
0: I absolutely feel that. I am uh, zoomed out. Uh, yep. I am a capital E extrovert, and I feel like I'm slowly <laughs> starting to retreat away from the computer screen because all I see myself are on screens now. So
3: <laughs>
1: uh, no yeah. no. It's, been, it's been a time, but again, I think, you know, you're so right to double-edged toward that it has been really challenging, but not everyone has, uh, I think, the privilege to be able to work from home and that we're still able to do our work and support our students is really important, so.
2: You uh, no doubt. Yep.
1: So you're here today. We're excited to kind of hear, as we've heard from many people, to have you just talk about kind of what what's been your best student interaction, like what's that that really great student or students moment?
2: So I gave this a lot of thought. You know, I've been doing this for 21 years and 12 of those years were in housing and um, lots of different roles in the last year, last nine years, has been in the Dean of Students role. And, you know, most of my student interaction, at least in the last probably 12 years or so, uh, isn't always the most, what I would call, kind of positive, fun, happy student interactions. Uh, my role, you know, is centered around student conduct and crisis management and students of concern, and uh, more of the more difficult circumstances that students face. Uh, So, I was trying to really think of a story that, uh, a student story that kind of stuck out to me. And there really is a couple, and I'll only share one uh, today, but uh, there's a couple that stand out because uh, they're extremely complicated situations, kind of sad at points, Um, but the end of the story is a happy ending. And so, uh, that's the, the one I'm going to share kind of is uh, fits into that category so it's not going to be one of the uh, you know some of the others I'm looking forward to listening to your other uh, interviews and, and stories that people are sharing but I'm guessing some of them are you know just really happy positive interactions and um, you know this isn't that kind of story so I hope but I hope I hope I do it uh, justice in the end and kind of meet what you guys were uh, looking for so um, You know, I'll I'll put this out there as I start. I'm gonna call this young man Michael. Uh, That's not his name, uh, but for FERPA reasons, uh, I'm going to uh, use that pseudonym uh, so that uh, I can protect uh, his identity. Um, You know, a lot of students that come to Furman, not all, but a lot, I would argue, probably would have a bright future ahead of them even without Furman, uh, you know, without, that experience um, and uh, not that those students don't have wonderful experiences and they propel them forward and give them opportunities that they may not have otherwise but I think you know you may know what I mean when I say you know there's just there are students who we have our privilege and they're going to have um, opportunities just because of the circumstances they're coming from right uh, Michael was not one of those uh, students um, his uh, one of his parents had died uh, at a young age. Uh, his other parent, he had uh, no relationship with. So he was really, when he came to us uh, as a freshman, he was what I would consider kind of financially independent um, and really didn't have any family. Uh, I'm try- I was trying to think back, it's been a while, I was trying to think back and I think there might've been a grandparent um, who kind of helped or or a sibling, um, older sibling I, I don't remember that detail um but essentially he was he was independent um he really struggled academically uh, out of the gate um uh, he never was a um a student that was performing uh excelling uh, academically uh but he you know he did um he, he made the grades to stay in school and and continue uh, progressing uh, there was a semester he had to take a leave of absence uh, for personal reasons, and again, I don't off the top of my head remember exactly why. I think it, you know, was um, I don't know if it was financial or uh, emotional health, well-being, personal medical, that kind of thing. But he took a per- he took a leave for a semester. Um, he, because he was independent and without any parental support, um, he he had the added pressure or stressor of financial circumstances. And and Furman is not a, 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 you know, no college education is quote unquote cheap, but um, Furman has a pretty high um, price tag uh, compared to some others. And so, uh, you know, there's the financial stress, the academic stress, the uh, personal family uh, or lack thereof uh, stress. And, um, you know, I got to know Michael Throughout his time uh, at Furman, in different ways, nothing uh, really significant. Um, you know, he'd have a he'd have a minor conduct issue here or there, but I would consider those to be more like minor community infractions. Nothing that would, you know, get him in, in big trouble. But that's kind of how I first uh, knew who he was uh, and interacted with him uh, when his final year. At firm and, and actually it, he he took you know most of our students graduating four years maybe four and a half or five if they are a fifth year student athlete you know finishing out a, a season the next fall or whatever uh, but he uh, in the long run uh, took six and a half years which is unusual um, our type of student body um, and so towards the end in his in his final year uh, Michael started to Get into some uh, making poor decisions, and we really didn't know the root of where this was kind of coming from. We do now, or we did later after some of, some conduct incidents. But um, you know, in the last couple of months of his uh, final year, uh, he had an incident involving uh, alcohol and some uh, other uh, poor behavior as a result of that. Uh, again, nothing that would have gotten him removed from school, but he was put on probation, which was for that type of incident kind of uh, standard. And probation means that, you know, you just can't get in any other trouble or you could be suspended if you had another uh, infraction. Uh, then he had some academic troubles, uh, not, not, uh, I mean, he, he was still in having struggles from a academic performance standpoint, but. As a result of that, and I think nearing the end, he made some poor choices uh, around uh, his academics. And then, within a month of that incident where he was put on probation, he had another more significant um, incident that involved uh, the police and, um, you know, being um, uh, being detained uh, for a period of time. And you know, long story short, as a result of that sequence of Poor decision making, um, you know, came to light that there was uh, some, you know, some coping uh, with a lot of emotional stress, financial stress, uh, end of year or end of career, academic career stress, not knowing what the plan was. It all just kind of caved in on Michael, and he was uh, making some poor decisions with uh, substances. And so, um, you know, when he when he came to that final uh, conduct uh process um you know the board was really faced with making a decision about this young man's future at Furman, um you know and if the if the decision was that he uh, could not come back to Furman ever meaning an expulsion uh, this young man would not finish college Um, he would uh you know well in his own words later on he'd probably be in jail um is what uh, I'll come to when we get to the final uh piece of the story so uh, you know this board had a tough decision to make about uh, this young man's trajectory of poor choices, but also his story right um, and an individual's story and experiences doesn't warrant uh, poor behavior and poor decisions but um, it, you know, those are real things that impact students and the choices they make when they're, you know, 18 to 22 years old. And we all work with these students, and, and we were those students, right? And we know uh, that we don't make the best decisions sometimes. Um, and uh, he, uh, I think finally, that the, he finally realized that, uh, what was at stake? Um, really his entire life ahead of him. And again, remember I started this with, I think, you know, a lot of students would be successful, you know, that come to us without necessarily Furman per se, but Michael was not one of those kids. This this was either going to propel him into um, a future that would be uh, rewarding and positive, uh, or one that would be just a life of, um, turmoil and pain and sadness and uh, in my role as being a student I have to sign off on any sort of separation from the institution. Um, you know and as you might imagine with this type of situation you might have different constituents that feel like certain things ought to happen right a certain outcome ought to be the case and um, you know for Michael I really did look at his entire life experience, his future trajectory, what was best for the community, what do our policies say, so forth and so on, the things Dean Students have to deal with. And so those who work in those roles understand, I think, the complexities of that sometimes. Um, but long story short, we decided um, that he should be separated from the institution, <clears throat> but not permanently, and we needed to make sure That he had every support in place to finish his Furman career and graduate, because that's what our work is all about. And if we could accomplish both, um, abiding by our policies and rules, protecting the community, you know, being consistent, all of those sorts of things, but also being supportive of Michael and all students like him, uh, both, you know. That came before him, and that that continued to come after him. Um, you know, that's my uh, kind of approach uh, to to difficult student conduct situations. And so uh, he he uh, had to finish out some things, uh, both legally and with the institution, and completing some things before he could graduate. But uh, he ultimately uh, did graduate. And what was really just a uh, Um, the piece of the story for me that uh, is a good reminder about places like Furman and and all of our institutions is the people that are there uh, supporting and working with our students. And, um, you know, when Michael was at his lowest, uh, people came to me, his professors came to advocate for him, again, not making excuses, acknowledging when poor behavior was made, uh, poor decisions were made. Rather, um, but you know, really advocating for him as a person and caring for him. Uh, he had a connection to um, on campus with this, one of our uh, kind of chaplains. So he had a spiritual kind of spiritual life uh, counselor advisor He was connected to the counseling center. Uh, you know, and so. You know, he had a team of people that were trying to help him uh, be, trying to support him so he could be as successful as possible um, and gave him every opportunity to be, to be successful. Um, and he was. Uh, he, he had a lot of, Michael had a lot of things he had to do <laughs> in order to make things right and to um, get back in good standing across the board. Um, But he he committed to doing that, um, even even in the most difficult of circumstances. Um, And he ultimately graduated. Um, And what was cool is probably, I don't know, time for me is a blur. Um, I think it's even more of a blur in the last two months in the world we're living in right now. Um, But it was probably a couple years later. michael he, he didn't live in Greenville um but somehow and I don't recall why he found himself in Greenville and he came to Furman uh, and he knocked on the door uh to the you know, to the student life office and uh, he asked to see me and he just wanted to uh thank me for um, you know standing in his corner uh holding him accountable i mean he never made excuses uh he 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 said you know those decisions were the appropriate ones because it, it helped him finally realize he had to make some different choices in life but he appreciated um, the second chance and you know the thing that really stuck out to me is he he kind of he he had a great job he was uh, financially in a much better place he you know he definitely had matured and grown up and the things that students do when they leave us and they come back later, and you know they're they're adults with families and all of those kind of things, um, you know. But he, he, what I what stuck out to me is he said, you know, "I just want to thank you for saving my life." And you know that that's that's what it's all about. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool story, difficult story, but um, one that stands out. And I've got a couple of those. Uh, they don't happen often. Um, But they definitely can propel you for many years and keep you motivated to do the work that you do with college students.
1: Well, you got a tear out of me. (laughs) That last part. Oh, wow! That was really, that was a really, really incredible story. I I definitely appreciate it. I also think because when we hear from people who, right, like in your work, it's so conduct-heavy, and that can be really hard. You don't always get these. I, you know, I think Agassi and I, right, like, we work, like, very student-facing. we got a lot of positive things, and, and your work still is so significant. And I think the accountability piece is huge, and I've, I've had students who have gone through the conduct process and said, and in the moment, it's awful, but they had to learn to hold themselves accountable. They had to learn that what you do matters, and it has an outcome, and that that ultimately, like, betters your degree in some ways, right, when we hold everyone accountable your degree is more valuable because everyone is at the same standard, right? And I don't think we always hear these stories, so I think it's it's important to know that even in the harder parts of higher ed, the, the conduct parts of the world, still really
2: valuable. Definitely, I mean, I, I, these, are the, these are the things that happen in most cases, I think, behind the scenes on every one of our campuses. So, you know, this is not a unique oh. thing to, oh, here we go, I warned you about the dogs. <laughs> But this is not a a unique thing just at Furman, right? This is is what happens on college campuses. And, um, you know, in many cases, it takes a team of people, faculty, students, advisors, parents, um, and others. And, you know, this is just one of those behind the scenes examples that honestly most people at Furman don't even know about, right? And they shouldn't know about it um, (laughs) because of how we manage confidentiality and privacy but but there was you know people who are impacted um, and knew him and were close to him know about it and uh, some of the people I mentioned so um, but uh, yeah this this is every one of every one of your listeners if you're on a college campus you, this is happening on your campuses for sure
0: I think something that I you know as you were talking I was really thinking about and you definitely touched on it several times was just the the need for community care. I love that you spoke about the faculty that came in and advocated for the student and said, we know that, you know, things are happening, and he should be held accountable, but we, there's something deeper there, and we think that that deeper thing is what needs to get talked about, because I think, I, I mean, as Erica said, I definitely don't deal in the realm of conduct. I know a lot of uh, students, uh, both professionally and even when I was an undergraduate student, who went through the conduct process, and something I think about a lot from that is sometimes you don't, to Erica's point, you don't think the decision is the right one because it's, it's so immediate and it's so right there. And then you kind of go down the line and think about it a little further and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of glad that something happened because I did need that moment to think what I'm doing is wrong and I need to recalibrate. Uh, I've had, I mean, I almost ended up in the conduct process at one point in undergrad and thankfully I didn't, but I still had, I think that that moment of reflection with a staff member who said, you really need to think about this. And I said, you're right. And, you know, not that I was, I don't think I was heading down to D.R. Sire at that time, but I do feel like that was just a moment of, okay, like I did something wrong. I need to realize that and acknowledge that, and then kind of push forward from that. Um, and you know, it, that also just, it also warms my heart. I feel like to, to hear that you folks handled it in that direction that it wasn't just like, okay, this is a bad student who's doing bad things. So like, he's just a bad person. So we just got to get him out of here but that there was a balance of like, yes, he's doing harm in the community in some capacity. and We need to hold him accountable. And also how do we take care of him in this situation? And like both those things are true and both of those realities are true. Um, cause I mean, I've seen it go the other way where it's just like, well, this is just a bad person. This is just a bad student. We just need to get him out of here cause he doesn't belong here. And I think it's really easy to say that, especially in cases where, you know, as you were mentioning an institution where students come and they were going to be successful in a lot of ways anyway, because of their background and their upbringing. And it's really easy to be like, well, this student isn't like the rest. So we just, he, he shouldn't have been here from, to the get from the get go.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, that was very well said. I mean, I think to be clear, uh, not every student should be at Furman and at, at your institutions. I mean, there are students who have earned the right to be invited to not return to your campus. <laughs> um, but in this case, you know, after looking at all of that, I don't think Michael was that student. Um, and, you know, when you make the, when individuals are put in situations to make that judgment call um, or a board or whatever, you know, in some cases, and I tell students this when when we're in that situation, I say, you have to prove my, prove me right um, in this decision because I could, I, I have equal enough grounds to, say so you can't come back to this institution based on your behavior. And you know that uh, that could have been the outcome for Michael, uh, but in situations like that, I, I try to enable or empower is a better word, the students say, I need you to prove me right that this was the right decision moving forward because you are gonna make different choices and you're gonna ultimately do what you came here to do, which is earn your degree. Um, and become a contributing citizen, right, uh, to your community. And so I want you to prove me right. And what was cool, I think, connecting those dots, because I often tell students that uh, at the end of, you know, in those type of decisions and situations. And, you know, what's really just neat is when he came back a few years later and essentially affirmed that uh, he proved me right, right? And and I've been proved wrong. You know, I've made some of those decisions and (laughs) realized, eh, okay you know the student went and did something else and uh they were suspended or expelled or whatever and uh you know so they proved me wrong um but when you're proved right uh it's just that it's just what it's all about right it's, it's what we do it's what student development's about uh it's why we went into this business to begin with so
1: i think that that's so 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 true so for any of our listeners who are entering the field <laughs> Conduct is a great place to be. You have such an ability to to really impact people in a way that is not always talked about in higher ed, right? It's not always the fluff. We think about the student leaders and the, you know, the the ones that are right at the top that are just nailing it. And those are fantastic students, and I don't want to discount that. But equally as important are the students who are getting the degree and, and doing everything they can. And it's so important that we have this community of the faculty and the staff. And those who have interacted to to help make these decisions. And yeah, sometimes we're proven wrong and that happens, but I do think that I would rather be proven wrong and at least have given you the chance for that one time that that or the few times that the student proves me right. I'm always going to err on the side of believing in what you're saying and and giving you that second chance.
2: Yep, 100%. And again, for those who are listening and thinking about this as a career path, uh, student conduct uh, is good job security. Uh, anytime you're working with 18 to 22-year-olds, uh, they always do dumb stuff. So uh, it's, it's one of those essential areas that uh, will always have work on a college campus. So uh, keep that in mind.
1: That is true. I'm sorry, you can hear they're mowing my, uh, I don't know what they're mowing. I don't have grass in my backyard, but sorry if you can hear that. Uh, but but thanks so much again, Jason, for being with us. I think this is, this is such a good story. Um, and congrats, Michael. I know that's not your name. If you're listening, we're really proud of you. Like, I don't right. know you, but really proud of what you've done.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me on. It, it was fun to uh, be able to tell that story. And uh, I'm sure Michael would be proud. He should be proud. Uh, he's, he's overcome a lot. So,
1: Do you have any um, social media that you'd like to plug?
2: Oh man, social, I, this is where my age does catch up <laughs> to me. Uh, not really. I'm on I've, Facebook, uh, but I don't, I only post happy informative things, kid pictures, dog pictures, stuff like that.
1: I mean, that's um, great content. Yeah. I, post.
2: It. There's some, great good Saxa, good, some good Saxa social media though. So definitely get out there and get in the um, Saxa uh, social media and you guys can help plug some of that I'm sure including oh, the yes. po- including the podcast
1: well thanks again for joining us it was an honor and a privilege to have you with us today
2: thank you Jason thank you guys I appreciate it y'all have a have a great day
0: so for our next essay moment we are excited to welcome current Saxa vice president of professional development Fred Tugas outside of his service to Saxa, Fred works as the assistant director for Student Leadership and Community Engagement at Virginia Commonwealth University. Previously, Fred worked in a student union at UNC Asheville. Fred holds degrees from Old Dominion University and Clemson University. Fred is currently working on a doctoral degree from VCU while balancing everything else on his plate. Fred, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Agassi.
1: Welcome, welcome. We're so Woo-hoo. excited.
4: Michelle, this is my first time on the podcast.
1: First time. Wow, we're so thrilled. Agassi yes. is doing um, jazz hands. Yes,
4: yes, yes,
0: yes. yes. Here <laughs> for it. Here for it. Not there. Um,
1: well, I was gonna say thanks for being with us. Um, it's so exciting to always have just kind of people from all over um, the Saxa region join us. We're super excited to hear from you. We're really proud of you for finishing your first year of your doctoral program. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Halfway done with coursework.
1: That's wild. Agassi, that's our prompt to start looking into doctoral programs, but we'll do that off the pod.
4: Oh, (laughs) absolutely.
1: That's it, other people are doing it, we need to do
4: it. Next episode.
1: I'm not not there yet, we're not ready. (laughs)
0: We're not
1: there, for sure. AMC, Uh, well, we're excited to hear a little bit more about your story, or more specifically kind of your your student experiences. So the question that we asked you, that we ask everyone, is what has been your best student moment of your career?
4: Awesome, yeah, this was a difficult one as you can imagine, right? Working in student affairs, um, there's so many impactful moments that we have throughout our career. Um, I'm gonna talk specifically today about my experience at um, the University of North Carolina at Asheville, um, as Agassi mentioned in the intro, I was there um, from um, 2016 to 2018, um, almost three years um, that I was there. Um, it was a really special place for me. You know, I was, um, you know, I was at Old Dominion as a student and worked full-time in admissions. Um, I made a big move to rural upstate South Carolina, became a Clemson Tiger through their master's program. Um, loved that experience, um, but as you can imagine, both of those schools, ODU and Clemson, are two large public research schools. It was what I was very familiar with, etc. But I wanted a place um, where I knew that I would have some students that kind of fit fit my spirit, right? I was looking for a little bit of different change. And UNC Asheville is a small public liberal arts university of about 3,500 students. And so it was a lot of change. Um, If you know anything about Asheville, keep Asheville weird. Um, It's very much a quirky, hipster, um, very artsy town. um, And that's me. (laughs) So, um, really loved, loved, loved that experience. Um, so being in, you know, um, the, 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 uh, the deep, Uh, Woods of Appalachia was such a a change for me, but it's a beautiful place to be if you've never been to Asheville. Um, So anyways, um, that was my first liberal arts school, my first small school that I've ever worked at. And for those of you all that have never worked at a small school, it's a tremendously rewarding experience. Um, This was my second full-time job, but my first one post my master's degree to serve as the associate director um, of programming. And we were a neat hybrid unit there. We uh, had, a mix of student union operations and student activities. We were a small but mighty team of seven full-time staff. Um, and in my role, I manage program boards, student orgs, Greek life, um, the marketing team. When you work at a small youth school, you wear many hats and it's an extremely rewarding experience um, for any new professional I high, highly recommend. As I think about my favorite student moments um, during that experience, one of the core pieces of my time there was that we um, had, a um, student union renovation project um, and a new addition of a ballroom, something that was desperately needed at UNC Asheville. And it was an 18-month project, so it was a very quick program, um, and it actually happened while the building was open. And so that was an awesome experience for um, us to really be challenged of, like, how do you program in a building that's under construction, right? Um, And um, some of my best student moments came out of that 18 month experience. I'll talk about a few of those uh, briefly. Um, First off, we started with a renovation kickoff event that was um, really student centered. Um, We ended up doing a carnival style event where um, some of my program, um, supervisors um, that I worked with um, came up with different games um, to really help celebrate the renovation so one of the things that we heard from student feedback um, throughout the renovation um, like what what do you want in the new union um, and all they wanted is a coffee shop <laughs> the biggest thing that they wanted was coffee um, we did not have um, a dedicated coffee shop as quirky as Asheville may be we didn't have it on campus so that was the first piece so we did a, a guess that roast game um, that was a student idea um, We also did a Lego recreation of the building. So we had a Lego kit um, and students had to recreate um, the union using Lego pieces um, as quickly as they could, right? And so um, they would get different points and go through a passport um, program um, throughout our building. Um, We had a wrecking ball game, right? Where they would knock down a bunch of uh, like boxes right in the student center, um, have a lot of fun with that. Um, they also were able to sign the final beam before it went up in the building. So students would literally leave their legacy at the university, um, which was super cool. Um, and so that was a fun kickoff event. Um, some of the other things that happened that we did um, during my time there, um, during homecoming, we had a naming contest for our coffee shop, right? And so um, we you know, put it out as part of homecoming. So many different suggestions came in, uh, probably a couple thousand students um, Uh, voted um, and everything and um, I just love the fact that we honored the top choice um, which ended up being called roasted and I just love that like I'm like I feel like that's so Gen Z right to like call a coffee shop roasted and then I was like are we gonna call this coffee shop roasted we're calling this coffee shop roasted right and so the branding went up and everything and I just love that Um, some of the other pieces um, that I love when we talk about leaving a legacy. Um, we UNC Asheville had a unique relationship with the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Nation, um, where there was some um, reciprocity between how they supported each other, um, which was a really neat um, relationship there. Um, and UNC Asheville overall was very social justice oriented and I appreciated that. One of the things that we wanted to do as we created new spaces in the union was to really think about the naming of it, right? And so like, As you can imagine in Asheville, you have mountains, you have rivers, right? But we never really had a presence of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Nation. Um, We um, did some research on um, kind of native language, and we ended up working with the Eastern Band and our student organization, Native American Student Association, to dedicate this room to our native students and the Cherokee Nation. Um, We ended up calling it the Tokiyasi Room, which uh, means the place where they gather, right? Which is very fitting for a union um, concept. Um, And I just thought that was so awesome. There was a great dedication ceremony um, with. Um tribal tribal elders, university leadership. Um, that was extremely special, and to have students at the forefront kind of making that piece. Um, and then lastly, I'll say that um, you know, I had the opportunity to work with the marketing um, team at UNC Asheville. I am not a graphic designer at all. I had an undergraduate degree in communication, um, but uh, it, that was a fun experience and a new challenge for me as a supervisor to help. Uh, lead creatives right like that's a very different mentality than what we do in student activities day to day when you're leading um, artists right Um, but one of the neat things that where they really left their mark was we had the student was able to design all of the art in the building it was absolutely incredible Um, and we had different wall wraps where they had kind of a um, cascading Kind of floor-to-ceiling wall wrap of all the different um, iterations of the building. Um, you know, they were able to display the role of the College Union and some of our mission statements throughout the building. Um, they were able to kind of print different wraps of photos of student leaders and, you know, former student body presidents. Um, And yeah, there were so many different details where the student was literally designing this and then it's literally becoming part of the fabric, literally, right, and physically becomes part of the fabric of the union. I just thought that was so special because what opportunity, one, for as a professional, we rarely get to go through union renovations, right? Um, but for a student um, to be able to leave their mark and come back and visit as an alum and said, I literally created that and now it's part of the fabric of the building. It was a truly a transformative experience to be at UNC Asheville. Um, I'm so thankful to many, many people um, there in the leadership at UNC Asheville, the vice chancellor for Student Affairs, Dr. Bill Haggard, um, Jill Moffat, who was our AVC, and Nancy Yeager, another AVC. Um, Stan Sweeney was my supervisor, the director of the union. Um, and I'm very, very thankful for all the many students, um, whether they were a marketing student, a program supervisor, et cetera. Um, working at UNC Asheville was probably one of the most transformative parts of my career. Um, and to be able to help build a building that's not only space, but place, with students at the center made that such a special place for me so I felt like I left there um, and left that place in really good hands and I'm hoping to make some new memories with a new population here at VCU so.
1: That's so cool (laughs) I think I think sometimes we forget you probably don't but that all of the like building of a union and, and physical space and place like you said is so much a part of our work it's not always this direct how are we impacting students, but how are we impacting all the things that then impact students? Yeah. Agassi, I saw your face light up at the Guess That Roast game. I really think you'd be so good at
0: it. I was literally just thinking that. I was like, that's such a fun game. Like, I would love, I would love. And the fact, I mean, I, you know, just shout out to the students who got roasted. Like, that is that, I mean. Brilliant. Brilliant. (laughs) That's a great name. Like, bar none, like, I mean, I can already in my head. I'm already like, okay, what would a Twitter account look like for the the this coffee shop? What would like Instagram posts look like? Like, I'm already like, that's such a good concept to like. <laughs> wrap. like I'm already like going like, wow, how can we market this thing? One, I don't work there. Two, yeah, that's it. I only had one. <laughs> you don't work there. Sometimes I run out of steam, and I'm like, number two, that was it. I don't, I don't. That's just <laughs> trying to make a point.
1: I also think it's so cool because what we know about Gen Z is one that they're very clever, mm-hmm. but they really like, they wanna see that impact yeah. and, it, and they wanna see it tangibly. And so I think the way that you engage them to be partners in this and not just, oh, like submit a form, what did you think about it? No, 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 that you are literally part of the building is I think so fantastic.
4: Yeah, and, you know, recognizing that, you know, a building that's under construction is a huge disruption to student life, right? You know, like, it's, the, it's their space, it's their home, it's where they program, um, and then to turn that into engagement, right, and having students be part of the building process, literally, um, has, uh, was super phenomenal, so.
1: You certainly don't always see that, so kudos to your team for doing it, right? It, like that's, yeah. that's significant.
4: I
3: mean,
0: it's also just so interesting, you know, I, I, every time I get started on conversations regarding like spaces and places and especially around unions and just the idea that like unions are like at the heart of campuses, you know, their college, the college living room, like that's where people gather. And, you know, I, I think about all the different unions I've, I've worked in or been in and just like how you walk into these spaces and you feel like, okay, this is representative. Like you have the center, you have multicultural, you have like the bookstore and you have like all these quote unquote, but then you really, I think, even think about on a deeper level about, like, the flavor and the context of the institution. Like, I just, I so deeply appreciate the fact that y'all have that they, you know, UNC Asheville has this relationship with the tribal nation and was able to bring them into the conversation. And, like, you were constantly thinking about how do we bring the community to the institution? Because many times there's so many institutions that don't have those relationships with their community or they they're a little fraud, or they're a little, you know, a little raw. So like, you know, there's many places where like the surrounding area dislikes the institution itself. So like, how do we call people in and say like, no, we want you to be a part of this. Is it, you're as much a part of this as, as we are. And like, we have representatives who represent you. And like, we're not dissimilar. We are similar. So nice. I love the fact that y'all had the the ceremony recently at the university of Florida. they, uh, actually, speaking of spaces, they just reconstructed the Institute for Hispanic Latino Cultures, La Casita. And one of the things that just really warmed my heart was I saw videos and pictures of like a tribal leader, like leading like a, like a cleansing ceremony, like a, an opening ceremony for the house. And I was like that. I could not have imagined that happening when I was an undergraduate student there. So to see the pictures, I was like, this is like I was such a happy alum. I was like, I'm so happy that's there. Like it really just took me out.
4: Uh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, no, you know, I think in a time right now, especially as we think of costs of higher education and admits everything happening in our world with COVID-19, like, how do we strengthen the value of higher education? And I think some of the ways that we can do that is through our facilities um, and how, you know, they represent the values and, you um, you know, vision of our larger campus community, even, you know, our town-gown relations. So, um, some fun stuff there. I- actually, we're about to head into another renovation here at VCU, so we'll see what that project looks like. Um, so, I just love following renovation projects. I was gonna
1: say, are you like looking these up in like meeting minutes and being yeah. like, all right, that's where I go next. That's yeah.
4: my job searches. He's like, who has a union they're about to renovate? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: hey, right. don't, don't put it past me. Put a look in the master plans when you apply for a job, right? <laughs>
1: Things that people don't always think about, yes. right? Yes. So all the well,
0: professionals out there potentially job searching, you heard it here. Look at the master plans. Of yes. your
4: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Well, and you're so right. It is so infrequent that unions get renovated. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so, Agassi and I um, met at the University of Florida I graduated in 2015. And I think it was like the fall after that they did their renovation, which one we were salty about because they started the renovation as soon as we left. But <laughs> I think the last time it have been the 60s or 70s or something, it just, cause you're investing. So I, I, again, just think it's so cool that not only you, but the students, mm-hmm. that they will come back and they will know that their name is on that beam. Agassiz's name is on the beam um, at La Casita. Someone signed it. I know it wasn't me, but someone wrote your name on there. And. <laughs> People are always like, oh, is that really gonna matter? That matters so much to people. It does matter. And and I think it's all these little pieces that you pulled together, that students named the the coffee shop and that they had the beam. Everything comes together to, yes, classroom learning is significantly important, but when they look back on their time there, that's what they're gonna think about. It's, I I built something and that's really beautiful.
4: Yeah. I love what we do. It's fun stuff. And I, you know, for folks in Saxa that are interested and uh, love, you know, union and activities work, would love to connect with you. I feel like there's probably some people in the association that I still haven't met. And I'd love to meet you all if you are dedicated that work. Um, I think the marriage of place and space is really important in what we do, um, you know, not only through the facilities, but the programs and how those work together to create meaningful um, community um, on campus so yeah would love to connect with you all if uh, with any of you all that have interest in that
0: and I think that is a perfect segue to conclude our little segment so Fred if you have any social that you'd like to kind of put out there for folks to connect with you um, followers please bear in mind we here respect follow for follow so. <laughs> yes we <do>. so please.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah I'm on pretty much most social um, including TikTok now, you know, my students have gotten on TikTok. <laughs> my so. favorite. Yeah, so if anyone wants to learn the renegade dance, happy to help. <laughs> um, but on, um, on, feel free to add me on Facebook, Fred Tugas, um, you know, that uh, as long as you're okay with lots of dog pictures of my Italian Greyhound, Ravi, uh, Fred oh. Tugas. Um, and then I am on Twitter, at Fred Tugas as well, T-U-G-A-S um yeah and then instagram as well um fredlito so f-r-e-d dot e-l-i-t-o so um yeah follow for follow
0: there you go absolutely i just want to point out quickly just before we conclude i'm on fred's twitter account fred your banner picture we just need to talk about this for just a hot second where did you get a turtleneck for your
4: dog
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry sorry. i guess i look this up oh my (laughs) gosh
4: so I guess the entire association will now find, found, find out the fact that I order my Italian Greyhound sweaters from Tokyo, Japan, <laughs> and get it custom made. Um, so yeah, and I know everyone can't see it, but yes, um, oh. on video here, I have lots of photos of me and my puppy. In- oh, you
1: in- love your pup.
4: I he absolutely do love him.
1: He also
0: has a book bag that like, he puts the dog in and carries it I
4: on I, I love my hand dog, so.
1: (laughs) I, I am crying. This is the (laughs) cutest thing. You just got a follow from me, just based on the (laughs) banner photo, if nothing else.
4: Ravi would love a follow from you, too. R-A-V-I the I-G-G-Y on Instagram. Ravi the Iggy. (laughs) rav yep.
1: Oh, you think it's not happening? It's happening. Hundo P, Hundo P.
0: Well, thanks again, Fred, for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: This was fun. Thanks, Joe.
0: Thanks for joining. We are excited to welcome our next guest, Becca Spencer. Becca currently serves as the Assistant Director for ACCESS at Mississippi State University. ACCESS is a four-year comprehensive post-secondary transition program for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Becca receives her Bachelor's in Secondary Education from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale and her Master's in Instructional Strategies from Rockford University. Before working in higher education, she spent 11 years in the Rockford Public School District working as a special education teacher in a multitude of roles. Becca lives with her two children, Sadie and Crosby, and her partner, Jordan. She loves to travel and even spent her honeymoon driving over 11,000 miles and visiting 35 different states in a month. Please welcome Becca.
4: Hey, Becca. <laughs> clap emoji. I was gonna say it
1: says, <laughs> says, it says insert clap emoji. So here it is. Though no one can see us.
3: Thanks for joining us, Becca. We're so yes. excited to chat with you. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: <laughs> we're we're pumped. Um, I think it's always cool, especially it sounds like you've had sort of a non-traditional entrance into higher education, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool because we sometimes think that it's this very linear path, and it is absolutely not.
3: Yeah, definitely.
1: Also, 11,000 miles.
3: <laughs> it was a blast. We even made it up into Canada and uh, went through Washington, D.C., and we literally hit, like, the four corners of the United States. It was a blast. We had uh, a lot of our wedding guests send us to different places along our, our path. We kind of tentatively laid it out, and then um, it was fun because whenever we went to the places that they sent us, that's where we sent our thank you to them. We'd get a postcard and, like, write a to thank you for the gift or for them coming to our wedding, and then sent it to them, so... We collected a lot of magnets and a lot of other yes. items, and our car was pretty <laughs> full <laughs> by the time we got home, but we made it, and it was a blast.
1: <laughs> That's so cool.
0: I needed to make sure that that, that little detail was in the introduction, because I, mean, uh, so... I also forgot to mention, but Becca was part of my small group, group four shout out, yeah. at the New
3: Professional Institute.
1: Yeah. <gasps> oh <my laughs> gosh. Yeah, so so I didn't know about the
0: driving story, so I needed to make sure it was in that intro, even though Becca reminded me of it. I was like, we, we'll talk about that.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> I love that. Wow. Mississippi State has a strong representation at NPI because there were two, if not three people at mine. Oh, wow. That's so, awesome! I love this.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think we had two other people um, there when I, when I went last summer. So yeah, they definitely are very supportive of us attending um, professional development, especially things like NPI. So I felt lucky to be able to, to go. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: It's well, such back a good experience. You. Thank you again for joining us. We're excited to hear your story. So whatever you want to share your wonderful story with us, go right ahead.
3: Sure. Well, so I feel like I kind of have a unique role within student affairs because um, the the transition program that I work for, um, I also am able to attend a lot of different uh, professional developments for people that do what I do and working with transition programs. And whenever I go to the different conferences and events, It's always interesting because I feel like I am one of the very few, or I shouldn't say I, our program is one of the very few that are housed within student affairs. A lot of them are housed within like the College of Education or over in academic affairs, but we're unique that we are housed in student affairs and that we work very closely with our disability support services, which not all of them have that partnership or connection as well. And I think that's something that's really been able to kind of set us apart and I think it's part of the reason that we really have developed such strong relationships with the other areas within student affairs that we work closely with. Um, all of our students live on campus and so we work really closely with residence life. Um, we work closely with uh, the student activities and, and all the other different components that kind of fall within student affairs because our students are so active and engaged during their times here and so I feel like it's been a, it's been a good fit for us um, on our campus to be housed within student affairs um we also are kind of unique because we're the only transition program <clears throat> in the state of Mississippi and nationwide only about uh, 280 different universities have a transition program so that's only about five percent of all universities are fortunate enough to have a program for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities to give them that opportunity to go to college um, which. So many of our students grew up thinking that college isn't going to be an option, that that's something that's unattainable to them. They hear their peers or their siblings talking about going to college and not thinking that that's going to be something that they can do someday. And now the, the growth in the number of programs and what they look like and they're all so unique and different has really opened the doors to so many of them to be able to come um, and, and fur- further their education from where they left off in high school. Um, The transition programs across the country range from like six-month programs to programs like ours where we're we're four years, they live on campus. Ours is definitely more of like mirrors a traditional college student's (laughs) college experience. You know, they're there four years, they live on campus, they take classes um, with us, they take classes with the rest of the Mississippi State body. Um, They participate in tons of clubs and organizations. They've even I even had one student that um, loved art and she wanted to create an art club, uh, an access art club, but she wanted it to be open to everybody. So I said, let's go for it. We've never, never had a student do that before. And so she researched the steps and learned she had to write a constitution and I helped her kind of walk through that and she sent it off and found out it was approved. And she started with like four members and now she's up to like 30. So it's like little things like that really that just make what what I do or what we do so amazing you know and the growth that our students make in the time that they're here I mean for some people it might be a little thing like I had a, a mom call um over winter break and she said I just have to sit this her daughter was a freshman this past fall she said my daughter came down this morning and she had her hair in a ponytail and I was like oh, that's cool <laughs> and she goes you don't understand like she never did that before. She always came down. And that was one of the first things that she would ask. Can you put my hair up in a ponytail? She made her own breakfast. Like, it's just little things like that, that, it, you know, it, it opens up so many more doors for our students. They can live more independently. They can hold jobs. You know, these are all things that they have friends, <laughs> you know, genuine friends, not just people that are nice to them. You know, the things that they didn't have when, not all of them, you know, but Lot of them in high school you know those are things that they just didn't they didn't have access to in the schools that they came from so um, I also had a, another fresh or another student his freshman year would call home like multiple times a day like always calling mom about everything and uh, as he you know progressed through freshman year and into sophomore year it became less and less. where it was like eventually like once a day well, I was talking to his mom, you know, at the beginning of last fall, and she said, you know, it's just amazing how he never calls now. <laughs> like It's kind of quiet. I kind of miss his calls, but now he just, you know, I'll call him, and he'll be like, Mom, I'm busy. I've got friends with, plans with my friends, or I'm about to go to my internship, or, you know, I've got this and this going on. So, um, you know, there's so many little things like that, that, you know, to us, or to maybe to us might seem like oh okay that's cool but to the families or to the students just seeing the amount of growth that they're making is literally life-changing for for many of them um but I think one of the biggest things for sure or moments of joy I think that I've experienced hands down was this this past fall um one of our our students our seniors uh got nominated to be homecoming king and I, I think I guess I think we. Yeah, I can't remember if I. Was, although it would have been after MPI, so maybe not. <laughs> um, but he, what a, a couple of his, his friends, non-access, just general Mississippi State students, um, said, "You know, you Spencer, you really should. You should be homecoming king. You light up every room you walk in. You embody the spirit of Mississippi State. You are a true bulldog." you need to be running for homecoming king. And so he's like, all right, let's do this. And so he, had, his friends kind of rallied around him and went through the process of getting him nominated to be homecoming king. And they had, you know, just tons of signage and and um, things on the drill field and um, just lots of events and stuff and publicity. And we're like, oh my gosh, like it's do you think he's going to have a chance? I don't know. Like, I mean, a lot of people know him. Like, he works. He had worked a lot of places on campus, and he's just always smiling and happy-go-lucky, and has lots of friends everywhere. But we're like, but is Mississippi State a you know a university of over twenty thousand people going to elect an access student for homecoming king? You know, like we're optimistic, but we're like, you know, we got to be prepared that if he doesn't win, you know, we got to make sure that he knows this is still an honor and, and this is a great experience. And then election night came. And he he won, like, by a pretty decent margin. And we all were just, like, amazed. Like, (laughs) it's, like, so hard to put into words, like, the emotions that we all experienced and, like, where that took him. Like, we thought, you know, oh, my gosh, he won homecoming king. This is so cool. Like, what a celebration. What an honor. And, like, the fact that our university embraces our students so strongly, like, that just told me, like, and all of us that you know, our students are true Mississippi State students. They're not just this little program bubble over here in the corner. Like we are fully included in everything of that university, including now the homecoming court, you know? And like, I mean, it it gained, ended up gaining national attention, which we weren't expecting. (laughs) Like it just was just the most incredible experience. Um, and he he was a senior, obviously, and just was supposed to graduate last week. Well, as I'm sure most of our the your university your university was too, but our commencement ceremonies and everything were canceled. And so we did a our our president did like a virtual ceremony this past week. And um, he he's from Tupelo, Mississippi. And Tupelo mayor said we need to do something special to honor him since he has done so much. I mean, he has grown leaps and bounds since his freshman year. Freshman year, like, had trouble communicating with him and just lower skills. And he just, I mean, it's amazing to see the growth that that he had made through senior year. And so the mayor said, we need to celebrate this young man. And so he actually helped work with the family to organize a drive-by graduation parade for him after the ceremony. So all these people were like, driving by golf carts and cars with banners and signs to celebrate him. And then the mayor came and presented him the key to the city, which like, (laughs) there's been a lot of moments where I'm literally speechless. Like just so many things like that, that this, the fact that it's extended outside of just our university to, to, to towns like Tupelo, which is a a pretty decent (laughs) sized town for Mississippi, you know, like they really just, love and embrace our students and and you know he's already got kind of jobs lined up for after this like after everything kind of opens back up again you know and so i think from the small moments of the phone calls with oh my gosh my daughter put her hair in a ponytail to these big moments where our student is crowned homecoming king and being able to have honor and uh, such an honor like that has just been definitely um my my proudest and most joyful moments of working in student affairs and, and doing what I do. So I think that's my story.
1: <laughs> and it's a great one. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it's funny, I've actually followed Spencer's like I followed all of that. Um, you do it all. Yeah, because a friend of mine who works at Montelio uh, yes. constantly shares all of wow. the access pages. He's which very
3: involved with our program. And
1: so, yeah. And yeah. so I saw the nomination, I was like, this is so cool. And then I saw the winning and I cried. So this must have been, what, October, November, maybe. And then I just, a couple days ago, was reading about the city of of Tupelo giving him the, like, key. Uh So the only reason I'm not crying is because I already have shed tears Uh over how (laughs) incredible the story is and how, like, I think you're right, this embracing that these students are, they are first and foremost Bulldogs. And Mm -hmm. they are also part of a program. And that that is not, like, that they are really in the student community, which is... Fantastic and what we want right when we build these programs.
3: Absolutely. We are just so lucky at Mississippi State I mean, we have students that are involved in in every nook and cranny. We even have students that you know have chosen to Join Greek life and have gone through the rush process and lived in fraternity house or sorority house I mean the full college experience like there's really hasn't been anything off the table for our students, which has been oh just great because it's not always the case at other universities we've you know some people that are in my role at other universities have said their students aren't even allowed to participate in the the big uh commencement ceremony ours do every year and they're the first ones out of the tunnel to walk into the the coliseum and up on they're the first ones who's called up to cross the stage and you know it's just things that like I never really realized how how lucky we are to to be so included. Um, there's other programs too that they, their students aren't allowed to live in the residence halls. The the universities just aren't comfortable with that. They feel it's too big of a liability and a too big of a risk. But there's just so many positive things that outweigh that. And and with the right you know protocols in place and the right trainings in place, it can be a very successful thing as, as we've learned and we've seen. Um, we've got you know 20. We had 25 students this year and they did wonderful. They did a great job. We're going up to 27 next year. We're growing a little bit. So um, it's just crazy. When I started uh, three years ago, we only had, the year before I started, there were only nine students in the program. My first year, we had 16, and now we're going into 27. So there's such a need for it, you know, and you can only grow so fast because you want to make sure that you're, you're keeping the rigor and, and uh, the individualization that makes the program unique and you know, so we can't grow too fast, but with us being the only one in the state of Mississippi and there's, we get, I mean, so many phone calls and emails and interested families that come and attend our preview days or, you know, call us for more information that, you know, you wish you could open your door to more, but um, hopefully there, there's more and more transition programs that, that continue to be built and, and established at other universities to, to give more opportunities to, to these students. Clemson has one, Clemson Life. Clemson Life, <laughs> I was not know that. To say that, yes! Yeah. yeah, you guys are looking at, you've got one too.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: And and I, they're an amazing program too.
0: <laughs> I mean, as you were, I mean, Beck and I, I mean, I know we've talked about our programs and, you know, the little I do know about the Clemson Life program specifically, but something I, I was thinking about as you were talking was just like, I mean, I work with student organizations, so obviously you speaking to like starting a student organization and that kind of gave you the feels because I know what student organizations represent for people so to be able to say like I have an interest and I want to move forward with that interest and mm-hmm. wow like there's 30 other people who have that interest like I mean that's so huge and like I we see that with student organizations at times and you know they come in they're like I just I have this idea for a thing and I don't know if people are going to like it and then you know a year or two later they're all they were like 30 40 60 members deep and they're like yeah we're doing great so mm-hmm. I mean I just I love that because of what it represents and it that just the shared similarities and I mean, even as you were just talking about the graduation stuff, I mean, graduation, you know, and I know Erica and I are very on the same page about that. It, it just represents so much for families and to bring them to to include them and not just include the students, but include the families. And I think just to showcase to the families that like look at everything that you help do, uh, because we constantly think about that, you know, we're not a product of one, we're a product of many, and we are here because of the work of others and the work of many. So it's just, I mean, that Tupelo, I also said Tupelo Honey, which is a restaurant in this area, as you were talking And that's about, a good restaurant, by the it's way. I've cool been to
1: restaurant. those. restaurant. I think Agassi <laughs> took me there when I visited him last. It <laughs> I was like, Tupelo's
0: like, oh, like Tupelo Honey. I was like, no, wrong Tupelo, wrong Tupelo. <laughs> uh, even just, I mean, the celebration of that, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just, especially right now with everything that's going on, I think a lot of students are feeling like, well, nothing matters. Like, I did this for, I did this, I'm not, I'm not walking what does it really matter? And it's hard, and I'm not going to pretend like I can understand that feeling because I can't. I can sympathize, but I cannot empathize because I I, I had a graduation ceremony, but something I do think about is just it is still an achievement. It is an achievement, whether you're walking across the stage or whether it is that, you know, you're in your robes and you're kind of in a VR, like, virtual ceremony of some kind, like, the recognition and the fact that, like, you did it, you know, even if right now it does seem like things feel a little off, it, you know, just it, the, the the achievement is still there, and the achievement is more so still there with the students that you work with, because I mean, to your point, like a lot of these students were like, I'm not going to college, and I know I've worked with a lot of students who say, I wasn't supposed to be here either, <laughs> I know, in, when I was in college, I was like, I don't think I was supposed to be here, statistically, so just overcoming that, and in spite of all those things, so being able to walk across that stage, whether it's virtually or, you know, in person. Yep, 100%
3: agree.
1: <laughs> This is a really good story. We really appreciate you sharing it and no, doing obviously such 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 important work.
0: Um, I was wondering why. I, you know, as you were talking, Becca, you know, you, I, you, obviously the folks at home cannot see that I was making faces. It's like, you know, the the sweetness of some of the things you mentioned. But I was looking at Erica for like, you know, trying to look at Erica like, okay, Erica's also feeling this. And she wasn't, she didn't look like she was feeling things. So I was like, I was okay. feeling it. Okay. Like, was, is Erica okay? And then she's like, I already knew about this. So I'm like, oh, okay.
1: Was, <laughs> I was just really hoping you were going to talk about it because I have kind of been not obsessed, but it's just been such a cool story to follow and be like, this student. I mean, I remember like being like, wow, the student was like nominated, this is such a big deal. Cause just to be nominated for any homecoming court is a massive undertaking, right? Like for most universities, that's not just like, all right, I'm on the ballot, but there's people who have to invest. And then to really follow this whole arc. And then I remember you all posted little kind of vignettes about all your seniors and what they were gonna do when they graduated. And the first time I looked for was Spencer's. I was like, all right, what's he up to? And (laughs) I I don't know this student. I can tell through everything that I've seen that there is not a bigger fan of like MSU. Like there is not someone who who cares more about this school. And uh, sorry to anyone else who's like an alum of there, but like (laughs) Spencer got it on lock.
3: And I think anyone that's met him just knows. Like he just radiates joy. You know, like you never see him without a smile. You like I my office like is right next to the main door to um like our access office, and so when, you can always tell when he walks in, because he's just got this infectious laugh, you know, we're like, oh, <laughs> Spencer's here, you know, and you can hear him, and he got my, my, my office door, I'm like, yep, oh, there he is, <laughs> but yeah, he definitely will be missed, along with all of them. We have We had five amazing students that graduated this year that really worked so hard to get here, and so, yeah, it's been tough not being able to celebrate in person with everybody, but we're hoping that um, Mississippi State's hoping to have them come back in December um, and be able to participate in an oh, in, great. Uh, ceremony. So we're hoping that happens that we can when larger gatherings are, are able to occur to have some sort of a celebration with all of them and their families to you know they've just worked so hard these last four years and to not be able to, to celebrate together has been really difficult. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that'll happen here. Yeah. I'm in the future.
1: <laughs> when did you start at um, MSU?
3: Uh, three years ago. Yep. So okay. I started summer of 2017.
1: So they would have, these seniors would have been sophomores. Yes. Yep. So actually, yeah, yeah I didn't
3: work with them They're freshman year. Okay. They're so next no- year,
1: next year will be like your first oh, full four gosh. years.
3: I know. I can't think about it. I tell there are yeah. seven boys. They're 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 our, our boy our board group um, that are going to be seniors next year, and all seven of them. I said I, I can't. I get emotional every time I'm talking about it with them. So I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm just going to be a wreck your mm-hmm. senior year because I've been with you since your freshman year. They're, they'll be my first one that I've seen all the way through. So."
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, we, <laughs> I work with a cohort-based program too. It's about 300 students per year, so um, obviously significantly larger. But next year, I started the same time, summer 2017. Uh-huh. So next year will be my first full four years and I'm, I'm not prepared because to see students from freshman year really not believing in themselves and all the challenges and then to get to graduation is, yeah, yeah we'll, be, we'll be puddles of uh, emotions together. <laughs> yes.
3: Well, and like, I, I worked at a high school or in a high school setting before I came to the university. And so I was used to like, but I usually worked with seniors. And so, you know, I'd get, you know, I'd get to know them their senior year, then they leave. I get to know them senior year and they leave. And some years I would teach other, other grade levels too, but they, I primarily worked with the seniors. And so this year is just, this has been such a different experience because I work with them every year, all year, you know, and like in some capacity or form. I may not be their teacher every year. I, I still, I teach one class every semester, um, but I'm with them, you know, working on their goals, you know, helping them set goals and working towards progress on those. And, you know, just all these other different components of the things that they do throughout the year. And so I definitely grow and, and have established stronger bonds with, with our, my students here than I was able to do at the high school level. So it's definitely been unique and different that mm-hmm. way too.
1: Wow. I needed this story on a Monday. Who needs coffee? Oh, this my. is energizing enough. <laughs> truly.
0: ¿Por qué no los dos? no los dos? As we're both sipping on our coffee. Like, I mean, yeah, no, coffee. I'm still
1: going to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> I just might not need it, you know. <laughs> I got you.
0: I got you. I feel, I'm picking Perfect. up what you're putting down, girl. I got you.
1: <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, Becca. It was truly an honor to hear um, about your story and your student stories.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. This has been fun. I really uh, enjoyed it. It's my first first podcast. So hey. Uh, Cross it <laughs>
1: off the bucket list. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: We want to give a special uh, a special thanks, of course, to Becca. Uh, and we also want to thank Miles Surratt for producing this episode.
1: We love you, Miles. We thank give you, you a shout-out every time. Uh, so if you want more information on Saxa, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, they're on all the socials. So Facebook.com backslash Saxa fanpage. Twitter at Saxa Tweets, and Instagram at Saxa Gramps.
0: And if you want to, and once you're done connecting with Saxa, if y'all want to connect over with Erica and I, uh, feel free to do so. Erica, what's that at?
1: It's at Erica with a C M underscore Aguiar. That's A-G-U-I-A-R. Agassi, where are you at?
0: At Agassi underscore R underscore?
1: It, yes, it is an um, underscore. underscore. You are correct. It's
0: like grammar.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: Agassy underscore r on Twitter. Becca, okay. you
1: got any okay. socials you want to plug? Say it again. Any Your social kind of channels?
3: Oh gosh, uh, I do. I'm old guys. I do Facebook. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook, Becca Spencer with one c, B E C A. Traditional spelling About for Spencer. <laughs> traditional <laughs> spelling
1: for Spencer. I am Love on. That.
3: Instagram and uh, Twitter, but I honestly I don't I don't use them much, so I don't even That's remember. That's okay.
0: <laughs> we we respect folks of all uses of social media. You
1: know. Well, all along Maybe. that that <laughs> usage spectrum. Usage spectrum. I actually <laughs> just happens to use it quite frequently, at least the Twitter. We do. Um, we do. Yes.
0: Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another one of our Micro Moments episodes. Please be sure to tune
1: in soon for our next one. Until next time, bye everyone. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.